I had the, uh, the evil eye. My eye was all swollen and all of that. This week, I've got a cough. I just can't wait for next week, you know? <laughs> so, hopefully I will be able to get through this before uh, I start having a coughing spasm. So, you guys doing good? You guys? I uh, want to thank everyone that helped the Ashantis uh, uh, get moved in. And uh, um, you guys, well done. I know it was cold. And we have uh, a couple of people that will be go- leaving us and going back to California and to school, right, Chantel? Amen. Yeah, she is, she is really applauding here. She wants to get out of New York so fast, I know. She'll be able to hang her, pack her coat up and all of that. And then, Zah, you'll be going back to school soon, right? All right, all right. Well, we got several people here that will be in and out, I know, but... You get to go to Burton Binghamton, right? Yeah, that's not L.A., is it? Uh-uh, uh-uh, okay, okay. I better stop, because I start talking about people going back to school. You start getting mixed reactions here. Um, I am uh, <clears throat> I'm really looking forward to uh, some of the things that I wanted to share today. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone who keeps talking and throwing out facts and bits of information, and then all of a sudden it dawns on you, I don't know what the point is. Have you ever been in one of those conversations? I've been guilty of those conversations. I'll be talking to people, and finally they go, sure, what's the point? What is the point? Let's just, let's get to the Cliff Notes version. What are you trying to say? And you know, it's funny, but when you're in a situation like that, You hear facts, you hear bits of information, and it's all good and maybe even important. But until the point is established, all of a sudden those are just disparate bits of information. Once the point is established, ah, now it all comes together and it makes sense. You know, sometimes familiarity with something, I'm not going to say breeds contempt, I know that's the old... uh, Um, adage that's often used, but it does take away understanding. Let me put it that way. Oftentimes, we are familiar with things, and because of our familiarity, we begin to lose our understanding. And so today, I wanted to talk about one of the, the main things, the main point that Jesus came and preached about and taught about and lived. And that's the point, and the point is the kingdom. Now, that's a difficult thing for you and I to sometimes grab hold of because the idea of a kingdom is a little bit foreign to us. You know, we're, we live in a democracy. We elect our representatives. There is not a king, you know, who is a sole point of authority. And yet, we understand that concept. You know, it amazes me how many people in America watch The Crown. I watch The Crown. I like that. What is it? Why did people like Downton Abbey? You know, it's talking about upper class and the serving classes. But, man, Americans love it. Even though we rebelled against it, we loved all of that stuff. We loved the sovereignty. But there is something powerful about a kingdom. Because in a kingdom, there's only one authority. One. Not elected, not shared, one authority. I want us to look at Mark chapter 1. Mark 
Jesus, John the Baptist first comes, preparing the way for Jesus. Then he baptizes Jesus. Jesus goes into the wilderness and is tempted. And then the very first thing that happens after the temptation when he comes, it says in verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now try, you know, again, we're familiar with this, but try and clear your mind. What was that like to bend back there and all of a sudden Jesus comes and he starts preaching the good news? This is good news. Life is not going to be the same. It's not the same old, same old. God is intervening right now. God is coming himself. It's good news. And he says, repent, which means change the way you think. Change how you're living. But repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. What would you have thought? You're thinking, whoa. Is this bigger than Rome's kingdom? Is this bigger than some of the local kings, Herod and things like that? This kingdom. But the more you began to listen to him, you understood that this is a kingdom that is not territorial. That is not geographical. It is a kingdom that transcends all boundaries. And over and over again throughout the Gospels, the main point of Jesus' message was the kingdom of God. And everything, his sacrifice the coming of the Holy Spirit, everything had to do with the fact that God himself is reigning over his kingdom. What is a kingdom? It's the rule and reign of a monarch. What's the kingdom of God? Anywhere where the rule and reign of God is accepted. Jesus' first words, the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is near. By the time Paul's a, a disciple... In Colossians 1, he goes on to say this, in verse 13 of Colossians 1. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The kingdom is not something still in the future, although there's a part of it that's yet to come, but the kingdom came when Jesus came Preached, he says, it's at hand, it's near. And then when people responded to what he said, they came into God's kingdom. They came into the rule and the reign of God. Now we all know that. We've talked about that. We're familiar with that. But here's what I want us to ask ourselves. Am I living the kingdom life? Jesus did not come to usher in Sheridan a better life. That wasn't his goal. Do I get a better life? Oh yeah, but that's, the point is not getting me a better life. The point is bringing me back to God. The point is me living the life I was created to live. The point is having my sins forgiven. That is all in this kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven. And so I've got to make sure I understand the point, which is, am I living the kingdom life? Is that what I am participating in right now? I want us to be talking about this and different aspects of this as the year starts to go on. 
And over and over again, I want us to stop and think, okay, everything that I've known before, I'm going to hold on to it, if it's true. But I also want to reevaluate and look and say, am I living the kingdom life? Because Jesus came to usher in the kingdom. It ought to be something I am experiencing. It ought to be the point. I can do religious things, but I've got to make sure that I'm living that life for which he died for me. Two things I want us to think about when we come up with the kingdom of God. Number one, it is the kingdom of God. It is not the kingdom of Sheridan. It is not the kingdom of anybody else. It is the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What he says goes. He defines it. He empowers it. It all belongs to him. I took a senior life-saving course many years ago to be a lifeguard, and I passed with flying colors. It was great. But you know a main point of senior life-saving is that the drowning person doesn't save themselves. Now that's an obvious point, but here's what they want you to do. When someone's drowning, they tell you, you go out and you swim out to them and about 10 feet before you reach them, you go underwater. You go under and you swim under them and come up behind them and grab them from behind. Now, if you're drowning, how discouraged would you be? I mean, think about that. You're on drowning, and here comes someone, all right, and then they go underwater. It's like, hey, man, what's the deal? What is the deal here? You see, a drowning person cannot save themselves. You know what they'll do if you keep going up? They will jump on you. They are in a panic. And oftentimes, spiritually, we're in a panic. We're afraid for God to save us. It's like, oh no, oh no, I've got my life, my relationship, my business, my this, my that. Oh God, and God is the Savior. It's His kingdom. He knows what's best for me better than I know. And just like in, in, in life saving, you've got to go under, and there are times you have to do things that hurt people in order to save them. They teach you different, uh, different kind of choke, break holds, because a person will latch on you and try and smother. They don't want to hurt you, but they're in a panic. So they give you pressure points, which you do to a person, and it hurts. But it will make them release so that you get control of the situation and pull them to safety. It's all done to save the person. You know why? You're the one saving. They're not the one saving. You've got to understand that. You know, brothers and sisters, it's God's kingdom. It's of him. He has the best interest for us. He knows what's best. Sometimes that's hard for us to really understand, but he does. If you've ever tried to argue with a toddler, you know sometimes you just got to say, no, this is the way it is. Because toddlers think they understand everything. Toddlers think they have the whole situation under control and they don't understand why you're such a meanie. But you as a parent say, you know what? I see the whole picture. I know what's best. I care about you. I'm not here to be your best friend. I'm here to protect you, to love you, to keep you safe, and to help you grow. That's what our Father does for us. 
So often we're afraid, we're scared, oh my goodness, you know, for me to really have the kingdom life, what if this happened? What if that happened? What if that? It'll all be for your best, whatever it is. Because you will stand forever and you're going to be okay. But that is because we remember it is his kingdom and not ours. His power, not mine. And that should give us security. Something else we need to remember is it's different than the kingdom of the world. Different. Sometimes it's easy. We start thinking, you know, let me just kind of go back to my default mode. My default mode is worldly. I have a worldly idea of, of, of God, of Christianity, of everything. You know, I'll think of going to church. I'll think of doing different things. But, you know, I don't really think of what does it mean to live in his kingdom. That isn't where I go, default mode. I have to stop, be open to being taught and to, to let God teach me what that means. I want you to just listen to a couple of these passages here. Ramon, let's go ahead and put this up. The kingdom of God is different than the world. Let's just go through some of the things. This is only a few of them. John 15, verses 18 through 19. If the world, this is Jesus on the night he's betrayed with his disciples before he goes to Gethsemane. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. John 17, verse 14, Jesus now says his prayer for his disciples. He says to God, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. John 18, verse 36, Jesus in front of Pilate. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. James 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And then 1 John 2, 15-17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Bottom line, the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of the world. As I approach, okay, what does it mean for me to live a kingdom life, to live the life I was created to live? I can't look out in the world and say, well, this is what it means. I can't go to the values, priorities of the world and say, that defines it. That's how I ought to be. That makes me successful because this is what the world says. What I've got to do is look and see what God says because it's different. It's different. Kingdom is of God and it's different from the kingdom of the world. So, what do we do? 
as we talk, and we're going to be going through a lot of different passages over the next few weeks on kingdom living, different aspects of it, and what it means to uh, uh, live that life, first thing we've got to do is kind of clear the playing field. Back in my day, whenever we'd go and play touch neighborhood football, didn't matter whose yard it was or if it was a lot or something like that, you'd first have to clear the playing field. You'd have to get all the rocks out of the way, the sticks, the knives, or whatever else is, is lying around, right? To make it so that now we can play the game. That's kind of what we have to do here as we study this. We've got to clear the playing field. Make sure, okay, let's get this out of the way. Now I can understand this. And so basically what I want to do is just lay out to you four responses to the kingdom of God. Four responses. And you just, in the privacy of your own heart, decide, where am I? Where am I? Because you can't ever get anywhere until you first know where you are, right? Response number one, you reject the kingdom of God. Just reject it. I'm not interested, don't want to know anything about it, don't care. In Luke, the seventh chapter, verse 30. In his gospel, Luke makes this parenthetical uh, <clears throat> thought about the religious teachers of the day. And he says in verse 30, But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. He goes, these people rejected God's purpose for themselves. Bottom line, there was nothing in common at that point. Once you reject God's purpose for yourself, there's no common ground right there, right? So when it comes to the kingdom of God, you can be the person, okay, I just reject it. Don't believe it, don't care, no big deal. I don't want to learn anything about it. Okay, and that's fine. God respects that choice. He doesn't like that choice, but he respects. He gives you the ability to choose. Because you know what? He doesn't want anyone forced into believing something they don't believe is true. He wants to win people's hearts and their free choice. So that's one thing, you know, that's one response. Let me reject it. Another response, which is also a, a form of rejection, is a tradition response. And look at Mark 7. In Mark 7, of course, uh, the Pharisees start criticizing Jesus' disciples because they didn't wash their hands before they uh, had their meal. And, of course, that was a ceremonial thing. And so Jesus says to them in verse 6, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. What happened here? These are religious people. When it comes to kingdom life, it's not just about being religious. But what happens, one way that we can reject it is not only the outward rejection, that's an obvious thing, but then sometimes we reject it by doing religious things out of tradition. What are some of the traditions? Church attendance. Now, isn't church attendance important? It's absolutely important. But it can't ever be the all-powerful sign that, you know what? I'm under God's rule and reign. I'm enjoying this kingdom life. I, anybody can come to a service. Anybody can do that. 
I used to think, before I was a Christian, somebody that went to church every Sunday is a Christian, a good Christian. Now, how did I measure that? Because they were, you know, on Sunday mornings, they were at church. That makes them good. It, well, it doesn't make you anything unless your heart is right. How about the communion? Have you ever wondered, what's in that little cracker that Millie makes? That must be Millie's super bread or something like that, right? I mean, thieves break into your house, throw a little bit of that at them. That'll make you secure. I mean, seriously, but sometimes we think there's a mystical power in the bread and the fruit of the vine. Those of us from a Catholic background and our Catholic friends, I understand that. The idea of it becoming the body and blood of Christ, that, that, that you know, it happens at that point. I don't think that was the point. That's not it. It's just unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. There's nothing mystical about it. There's nothing in and of itself that's powerful. But it is all powerful when it is taken in the kingdom of God with the right heart. When people come together, remember the cross, not by themselves, but with the spiritual body of Christ, with the community of the saints. I was talking with someone recently. They were talking about this job. And they go, man, I I wanted to get this job, but the job says I'm going to have to miss every Sunday. And they said, Boy, you know, I, mean, I don't know if that's right. Maybe I could just come in and take communion. I said, well, let me ask you, what do you think about that? But I realize a lot of people think that. If you come in and take communion, it's okay. The bread and the fruit of vine won't do a thing for you. That's a tradition. The bread and the fruit of the vine is the reason we assemble, but we assemble to remember Christ's body. We assemble because we are the body of Christ. We assemble to encourage one another and help each other live a life that's not just the life of the world. We're trying to be different by the power of God. These are the reasons. We come to worship and sing praises to Christ. That is why we assemble. It's more than just an action. But tradition... That's how all of a sudden we start thinking that way, and pretty soon kingdom living is not considered. We're just going through our traditions. But then there's a third response, and this is a good response. And this is a response that says, here I am. I Sign me up. I'm part of this. I, I want to learn everything I can about the kingdom. I want to belong. I just, whatever it takes, I am in the kingdom and I want to accept God's values, God's priorities, God's purpose for my life, I'm, I'm here. That is a great response, and that's an awesome response. And it reminds me, it's interesting, anybody can do that response. You don't have to have been a Christian a long time. You don't have to be a Christian forever. You don't have to come from a real religious background. You don't have to even be someone that has done everything right. You become a Christian, and maybe you've been through a rough time spiritually, but you're back, you just want to be with God. That is awesome. Matthew 21. Jesus tells a parable. And he says in the parable, he talks about two sons. And in Matthew 21, verse 28, says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. 
I will not, he answered, but later changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Okay, Jesus is talking to religious leaders. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He said, you know, the prostitutes and tax collectors, they were the people that initially, I'm not going to do what God says. But then they said, you know what? I am going to do it. I'm putting my life behind. Here I am. I just, and Jesus said, they're in the kingdom of God. They're under his rule and reign. They're enjoying that new life. The religious teachers, though, they were saying, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll go do it. But they don't do what God says. They don't live under the rule and reign. And Jesus goes, you know, people that you would think, wow, I'm a lot farther ahead than them. You're not. Their hearts are just right there, wide open, ready just to be with God now and forever. Great response, right? And then we have the fourth response. Now this response is one that I myself have found myself having over the course of my 44 years as a disciple. There are many times I'm just, man, you know, like Matthew 21, I'm doing what God wants, and I'm just trying to seek what that is. I'm asking questions, and things are going well. But there are other times I've gone through that are very discouraging. And I think, you know, I don't even want to say I'm sorry again to God. I'm sure he's getting tired of this. I should be zealous. I mean, the Bible tells me don't lose my first love, but I'm not feeling it right now. And I know what I ought to be and ought to do, but I'm not at that point, so what's wrong? How do I do that? And I find myself in the same position as that father in Mark the ninth chapter whose son needed to be healed of a demoniac, and, and Jesus tells the father, you know, because the father asked him, if you could help, please do. And Jesus goes, if you can, all things are possible for he who believes. And the father goes, one of the great statements of all, I believe, help my unbelief. Right? But you know what? That's a great response. And if you're here today and maybe you've been discouraged or maybe things, you know, you found yourself getting more lukewarm and you found yourself just not caring or but you're here and you want to change. Guess what? That is a great response. Because this dad, I believe, I got something. I'm still holding on to it. Help me with my unbelief. He will not accept unbelief as a way of life. He just accepts it as this is something I'm going through right now, but I'm moving on. I am not going to plant my flag here. I'm not going to be unbelieving. I am going to be believing. But I need help. And if that's you, then that is a great response. It is a type of response that is open. It's the type of response that wants the help. Talking with someone else just yesterday, and was talking about how much he missed the times when there was discipling in his life. And we talked about some of the struggles he's going through and all of that. And, but I appreciated so much his attitude. He goes, I know that I need that. I know it. You know what he's saying? As I believe, help me with my unbelief. And he was being open and he was talking about it. 
Think about it right now. What is it right now that you want help in? Do you have an area in your life, do you feel like when it comes to kingdom living, you know, Jesus came, that's what he talked about, that was the point, so we've got to understand the kingdom of God, we've got to live that life, or else we miss the point. We're coming up with all these religious bits, we miss the point, and yet, things have happened. You've been discouraged, or you don't feel as zealous as you used to. Don't start beating yourself up. Maybe you just need to start with, I believe, help my unbelief. Be open to getting help. Be open to getting input. Be open to someone say, hey, let's sit down and study the scriptures. Let's pray together. Be open to that. But don't accept unbelief as a way of life. Live in the kingdom. That's an awesome, awesome attitude. So, where does that leave us? Only you can answer that. One of four responses. I reject. I just want a tradition. Hey, I'm all in. Or, I really want to be all in. I just need help. And that's all right. And that's okay. My prayer for all of us is that the kingdom of God will be our heart. That we will respond to Jesus with the point that he came. That we will live the type of life that he died for us to live. What I want to do right now is I want to say a prayer for all of us. Okay? But, and after this prayer, John, you guys just come up and lead us in a song. But I want you to think, I'm going to plagiarize this prayer. Okay? I'm going to read from it. But I'm praying it for you and I'm praying it for me. It's from Ephesians, the third chapter. And this is what Paul prayed for the Ephesians. And this is what I pray for us. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derive its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Have a great Sunday, guys. Singers, come on. Let's all stand. And after this song, go ahead and...